just want you to be aware of that. Have you ever thought what you really need is not what you really need? Have you ever maybe gotten what you need and found it out later, that's not really what I needed? Have you ever thought if I just had a husband or a wife? If I just had enough money? If I just had a better job? If I just lived in a better place? Maybe it's you want to live in, uh, your dream is always to have lived in Arkansas. And you're like, if I could just move to Arkansas, everything would be okay. All of these things are not bad things. But have you ever received something that you thought you needed and it was disappointing or really maybe even the opposite? Have you ever seen where people have gotten money and it's ruined them? It's ruined their relationships. It's, they've actually gone backwards. Maybe especially if they've gotten it through a lottery or something like that. They go backwards with money or they all of a sudden their attitudes change and they're not the people that they used to be. I've seen a lot of people say, I've got to get married, I've got to get married. Then they get married and they're like, who did I marry? Who is this person? And I always say, well, some, you know, it wasn't the right person for you. The Bible talks many times about that. Have you ever got a better job, supposedly that promotion, and then you realize, I don't want to be this person who's promoted. Uh, I don't want the extra stress, the extra headaches, uh, the less value of life. I want to see my family. And so sometimes the better job is better, but sometimes it's not. How about a better place? The grass is always greener. You may think North Dakota is heaven. You may think that. Okay, but if you move to North Dakota, you might discover that it's not perfect. Okay, if everybody here from North Dakota is, probably can confirm that. Um, is, it is perfect? It is perfect. Okay, Josh is telling me that it is perfect. I was not aware of that, but now I know. But you've seen it with people. Every place has its problems. Every job has its problems. More money, the Bible talks about more money has problems, less money has problems. And um, having a husband or wife is great, but the Bible also talks about the fact to enjoy your singleness. That there are many things you can do in that. I've seen it with churches. If I just moved to the perfect church where everything was right and the pastor preached better and the songs were the ones that I liked and everybody looked like me or didn't look like me or whatever. And you know what? You get there and you find out they have problems too. I, I've told this story before, but when I went to seminary, I was kind of frustrated with our own denomination. I thought, well, there's nobody who has more problems than the Assemblies of God. And then I sat down with my covenant friends and my Baptist friends and my E-free friends and guess what? They've got problems too. Their churches aren't perfect. Their church is like, well, I'm going to be a, one of them because they're like, what are you talking about? We've got problems. Here's our list. Here's our list. Here's our list. And what if it comes down to that the change is something that needs to happen in you first before any of these things are going to be better for you? In other words, it's okay to say, I want to be married. But what if God says, the first thing I want to do is change you so you're ready for it? I want to have more money. What if God says, you need to be more responsible with what you have so you can do this? I want a better job. I want to work through you so you're ready to have that job, so you have the skills. I want to live in a better place. Why don't you make the place you are better and then be open to wherever God sends you? Because you know what? I've known people, and I have a very good friend, 
And it's, if you know where Halak, Minnesota is, it's a, it's a wonderful town. But I have a friend who could sell Halak, Minnesota like I've never seen before. Like he would get groups of people to travel to Halak from college to tell them the glories of Halak, Minnesota. Now, if you don't know where Halak, Minnesota, it's, it's basically Canada and North Dakota right there. It's a small town, maybe less than 1,000 people. But he, the way he sold it and the way he made it. And when you got there, he made it fun. He made it an exciting place to be. He should have been on the town board. He was 18 years old, but he should have been, you know, all of this because he made it fun. And what you find out is a better place is when you change your attitude towards the place you are, that could be a better place. And wherever you go, there you are. Have you ever heard that before? You're there. Okay, you're there. So if you say, I've, heard, I've had other people with jobs. They've had five different jobs. And they say, man, I've, I've had five different jobs in 10 years. And I can't find a boss that, can, that, really, that really gets it and is, has a clue. And I'm like, the only thing consistent about the five jobs is maybe you. Nobody wants to hear that. But maybe there's some things that you need to work on. Because guess what? Jobs and bosses are not fair. You know, when teachers. I've been a college professor. I've been an eighth grade teacher. I can tell you this. We don't do everything right. So when you come and say, my teacher's not, not right and not fair, probably. I'm not really, you know, it's like, so what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be, you know. But there's something that you need. And what if, what do you know? What is our number one need? And what is that we need? And what is it that Jesus can provide for us? And today's story we're going to talk about in Mark it's probably one of my favorite stories as a kid. I still love it, and as I was reading through it, I, I, I thought of all the different angles to come at it and all the different things about faith and how we handle things. And I've heard so many people talk about it, but I just remember as a kid seeing the flannel graph. If you don't know what a flannel graph is, you didn't, it, it's, it, it's hard to explain. It's a, they took flannel... And then you took this thing with like some kind of Velcro thing and you stuck on it and they'd put like, there's Jesus, there's this, and then they'd move him. Okay, it was a wonderful technology of the 70s. Um, but, you know, that was high tech for us. But I remember the stories, we were looking at the pictures of this story and just saying, this is a really cool story about friends, about Jesus, about healing. So let's start. It's in Mark chapter 2. And it says in Mark chapter 2, the first thing it talks about is, first of all, we want to have the first point we want to talk about is God is looking for faith. And it says, when he returned, talking about Jesus to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered there, so there was no room, not even at the door, and he preached the word to them. So what's going on here is Jesus is preaching. It says he is at home. He is at where he feels comfortable. But people, remember the leper from last week where the leper was supposed to not tell anybody about Jesus and what the leper do? Went and shouted from basically everywhere. Jesus did this, Jesus did this, Jesus did this. And nobody will leave Jesus alone. And there's a barrier to ministry going on. There's a need that is going on right here, but they have absolutely no room. And there's something that needs to be overcome. And Jesus is preaching and doing what he's doing, but there is somebody who is in need of him. If you look at verse 3, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men, and when they could not, 
uh, get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So here's the story. He's jammed in a house. He's jammed in a room. Nobody can get in. Nobody can get I mean, I don't know if anybody can get in. I'm sure this is not fire code. Um, this is set this way. And Jesus is preaching and everybody's trying to press in on him. And there's the people that are in need. And some of the most heroic people in the story, remember Mark, how he loves these long introductions? How does he refer to them? And they. Ooh, just they, okay? But some of the stars, and then he talks about that there were four of them. At least we get to know that. Um, Bringing to him a paralytic man carried by four men. And first of all, you need to understand, I had to look this up uh, because what they do is they cut a hole in the roof of the house. Now, if somebody comes to your house right now and cuts a hole in your roof, would you be happy about that? Okay, we really wanted to see you. You didn't answer the doorbell, so we took out the sawzall. We went nuts. We had to get the chainsaw, but we got to you dangling from your bedroom, you know, coming in. Okay, so our whole image. Just so you know, this would have not been a horrible thing in this climate. Because at this climate, they had, uh, they looked it up, some uh, archaeologists looked up this area, and basically they had cross beams and they had a thatch roof that had to be rolled every year, so they rolled up the thatch roof, unrolled. So just so you know, the owner of this house did not have permanent damage. I just, it helped me and it helped me feel better about the story. So easily repaired was the word that came up. But you know what the best thing about this? The people in this story showed the most true faith in what Jesus calls us to have faith about. And that faith is, I believe in Jesus so much that my actions are going to follow it. I believe in Jesus so much that I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to overcome whatever barrier it takes to get to Jesus. I'm not going to let something get in my way. I'm not going to let something um, stop me from this. There are going to be barriers to Jesus. There's going to be three of them that are going to pop up in this. And we need to see that the barriers to Jesus need to be overcome by faith. And faith in action. They could have just said, we believe Jesus has the power to heal our friend. Okay, everybody else agree? We all agree? Good, let's go. Just go home. Well, we can't do anything about it. But Jesus looked at them and what he's been always saying is, They did that. And if you look, what's interesting, we're going to see the Jewish leaders later, and there's going to be a contrast. Here's these guys up on the roof, even though you say they're not really taking a a saw to it or whatever, they took the action to carry their paralytic friend up under a roof, lower him down, and what did the Jewish teachers do? In contrast, Mark likes to take little digs, they were sitting there. And so the Jewish leaders, this is how, we'll, we'll see if we believe you or not. The other people, their faith was, let's do something about it. Let's get to Jesus. Because if we get to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And you know what? That is what we should know, period, in our lives. I've talked about this many times, but there are so many barriers that what we put up in our lives, that others put up for this, it was others putting up barriers. There were others that were crowded around Jesus. And it could be other people that are barriers in our lives. But we need to understand, we can't let anything stop us from getting to Jesus. If you're dealing with sin in your life, what is the last thing you want to do? Be around Christians and be around Jesus. 
because you feel conviction, right? I mean, I know a lot of us, it's like, I've blown it this week. I better not go to church. People will know. I've blown it this week. Go to the church and be forgiven. Don't let that barrier stop you. Don't let any barrier stop you from getting to Jesus because as we're going to find out, Jesus is the only answer you have in your life. And your friends are, should be helping you get there. There's other barriers. Your true friends are the ones that are going to carry you on the roof and carry you to church. Okay? There are other people that are going to be barriers to you going to church. Hey, why don't you stop going to church? It's not really doing any good for you. So you see the two different groups of people here. So uh, the biggest thing we need to see next is that God addresses the most important need. And when Jesus saw their faith, remember, Jesus is impressed by the faith of these guys. And you say, isn't it? It's, not, it's, not, it's their action that follows their true faith. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, this is where those things where you ask for something and you get a totally different answer. You want, we don't hear what, we, Mark doesn't tell us what the people were thinking that brought him there. But I, in my head, the only thing I can think of is, excuse me, he's paralyzed. Did you not catch the point of why we went through the roof, we dropped him down, and your answer is his, your sins are forgiven? No, no, no. He's paralyzed. Can you just see this in your head? He's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. What are you talking about? His sins are forgiven. We could have gone to anybody else. We could have gone to a lot of different directions. We didn't have to cut through a roof. We didn't have to carry him. He's not light. But he's paralyzed. He needs to be healed. You heal people. Now do your thing. Do your heal thing. And what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. So Jesus knows the most important need that we have. Mark 1.22 is going to talk about they're astonished by his teaching because Jesus is somebody that has power to heal. And what's going to happen then is the teachers of the law are going to sit around themselves and think in their head. We're not getting actual dialogue right here. We're just getting it from a supernatural point of view what they were thinking. They were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And all they thought to themselves is, you know what? It's not acceptable for somebody to say, your sins are forgiven. And another important thing to understand is that when somebody questions in their hearts at this time, um, questioning in your hearts means they're questioning, and this would be the equivalent of our heads. Because we think, um, when you, when it's your heart, you're emotional. But like for Valentine's Day, we give everybody a heart. In Hebrew culture, when you say, I love you with all my heart, it means what we would say, I love you with all my mind. If you wanted to give a valentine in Hebrew culture, you would give a kidney or a stomach because your innermost is where you feel for somebody. So think about that next Valentine's Day. <laughs> I love you so much, here's a kidney. A kidney shape. I don't know if we can get this. I mean, we can get out there. It could be a market. Um, but I digress. But it's... It's important to understand that they were, they were reasoning in their, in their hearts, what we would say are minds. And they appear as observers and they're just looking down on Jesus. They're sitting there. Meanwhile, the faith of the people, they're doing it. 
But you know what? They're right. Only God can forgive sins. They're questioning. Only God can forgive sins. They're right. They're actually quoting the Bible correctly at this time. But what does that mean? It is either blasphemy and an arrogant attitude against God or Jesus is something different than they've ever seen before. They say, you can't forgive sins. If I walk around saying, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, I'm, I'm crazy. Okay? You have to back it up. See, in the Old Testament, a priest could tell a person that they were forgiven. They could tell them they were forgiven because of what they had done, the sacrifice they had done. But what Jesus is saying here is that I am forgiving you. I am taking the act of God and forgiving you. And what's also more important, there was no sacrifice. Have you ever looked in the Old Testament what it takes to be, go through a forgiveness thing for an act? It's like bring this animal, have this animal killed, do this, have, have a cleanliness ceremony take place, do this restitution. Here's Jesus saying, you're forgiven. 100% grace. He is bringing in a new era, saying, you know what? Forgiveness is coming not through anything you do, but simply by the grace of God. One of the most wonderful things that we can ever accept. Because I don't know about you, but there are many times I have never, I have felt to myself, I'm not worthy to be forgiven by God. A holy and true God, how could he ever forgive me? Jesus doesn't ask, there's no questions here. It's, you're forgiven. I'm Jesus I forgive you. The next thing, and we're going to come back to one thing in a minute, but God knows what we think is important. Now, this is important for us to understand. Do you ever think to yourself, I need to tell God what's going on in my life or what I'm thinking? And he wants you to, but just so you know, he already thinks, he already knows. Because it says here, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, in other words, God knows what you think is important. God can look at you. He under, Jesus understands your mindset. He understands your thoughts. He knows what's going on inside of you. He understands everything that you're saying. And he's going to pose a question to them. He's going to say to them, and I can imagine them thinking to themselves, why is he even giving us an answer? We never ask him anything. That's the part that kind of sticks to you here too, doesn't it? Could you imagine just sitting there thinking to yourself and all of a sudden somebody says, Yes, you're right. The answer is four. <laughs> what? I mean, I, this would make, it, it would shake you up a little bit. He's answering their question, and I don't know if I've ever looked at this closely. They never ask a question. They were just thinking it. And he asked their, answers their question. Starting to see something here, maybe a trend. This guy's a little different. He says, which is easier? He said, why do you question these things in your hearts? Why do you know we're questioning things in your heart? And which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up to your bed and walk? The scribes thought it was easy to affirm forgiveness. See, they said, oh, in the Old Testament, you can just affirm that somebody's forgiven. But you know what you can't, you can't fake? And in fact, you could fake that. You could say you're forgiven, but the person's actually not. But you know what you can't fake? Somebody getting out of a bed and rising. If somebody's paralyzed, I have friends that are paralyzed. I have friends that have muscular dystrophy, very extreme. If that person was healed, there's no faking it. There's no saying, well, that person's just faking. No, it's, it's something big. 
Jesus sees the greatest need right here, and the greatest need is forgiveness. Now, I'm about to bring something up that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because it's in the Bible, and I have to say it because it's in the Bible, and I'm kind of, that's, that's my source material. But he is going to link this example right here. There is a direct link between the sin that this guy has, com- has committed and the disease that he is suffering. Now, that's an uncomfortable thing to bring up because this has been abused in many different ways. The most common thing that we abuse is that we tell people, go to the doctor, and if all else fails, ask Jesus. That's our Western mentality. Is that pretty much the American Western mentality? Tell the pastor, but you know what? Make sure you go to the doctor, and if you get to it, let somebody else know. Maybe they'll pray for you. But Jesus is going to emphasize, first of all, that there is a connection between his sickness and his need of forgiveness of sins. Even the most famous verse in the Bible that we have for how we pray for healing is James 5.15. Look what it says. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. It says that. The prayer will raise up the sick. But the verse goes on. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Every time there is a sickness in our life, we need to address sin. Does that mean the sin is the 100% direct reaction? Absolutely not. Does that mean we should address sin in our life? Yes. And Jesus is saying, and right before James 5, it's going to say, confess your sins to one another. Before you even do this. Confess your sins. And he's going to say your sins are forgiven. So what he's trying to say is, most importantly, even if you are not healed, even if everything does not work the way you want, your sins are must be forgiven. The sin aspect of your life is the most important thing. And you know what? The fact that your sin is forgiven is a greater miracle than anybody ever being healed. Okay? Because Lazarus was raised from the dead. He's dead again now. Okay? The greatest miracle that I can think of is being raised from the dead. He died later. So in other words, it's not permanent. Your salvation is permanent. So anytime something happens in our life, we need to say, God, is there something in my life that I need forgiveness for? Jesus is going to point something and say, forgiveness of sins, understanding where we are with God is the number one thing we should shoot for. And in this case, it was the result, but we need to also understand that we can't get into the mode of, oh, I heard pastor today. I heard him. Guess what I'm going to do? I hear that sniffle in you. Confess your sin. Okay? We've seen it. I I remember this distinct story. I've shared it many times. Shared it again. I'm in college. Studying to be a pastor. I'm homesick from church. Happened to tune on a pastor who happens to still be on the air. Won't mention the name. Um, And he says uh, he was in a bookstore and and he went... And somebody came up to him and said, oh, pastor, you have a cold? I don't have a cold. I'm a child of God. I don't have sickness in my life. And went raving on like that. And I thought, great, I'm homesick from church. This is encouraging. I like encouraging pastor work. But you know, it's also not scriptural. It says to deal with the sin in your life, but it's not to blame. There's an example in the medieval church when, when people came to church 
the, a French historian talked about the fact on Sundays after Mass, the sick came in scores crying for help. And, and, and the word they, they all got was, you have sinned and God is afflicting him. Thank him, you will suffer so much less torment in the life to come. That was their encouraging words to people. I mean, you should be, I mean can you imagine a greeting card giving that? Be thankful that you are suffering now with this sickness. God bless you. Okay, is, can God teach us something through sickness? Yes. Can this? But we don't tell people. We give them the hope of God forgives you. Notice Jesus is not blaming the guy. There's no blame here. It's you need forgiveness. I'll give you forgiveness. So when we have a problem with sin in our life, guess what? God's not going to run you through a gamut to get forgiveness. He's not going to ask you to go to a church and examine. He's going to say, ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness. That's what God wants. So we need to understand that God knows what we're thinking and he knows what we need. And lastly, God has a part for us in providing our needs. In verse 10, Jesus says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So first of all, he says, I have authority. And then he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And you may say, well, this is probably some theme that everybody sat there and said, ooh, this is impressive, he's saying the Son of Man. They all probably looked at him and said, the who? Because he, this is a term that Jesus uses for himself that nobody else uses for him. We really don't have an understanding. In the Old Testament, it means Son of Man, like you are a son of a man. It does identify that he is human. But what he is, he, he's making up his own term. He's making up something. And he's saying to this that I am human. I can understand where you are. I am the greatest of all men because I'm fully human and fully divine. But it also is, I'm not who you think I am. I'm going to fill in what it really means to be the Messiah. He brings up his own terms so everybody doesn't get stuck. Have you ever had somebody label you with something and you say, I don't want to be labeled with that. I want to define who I am. And so he brings up his own label. You want a label? I'll give you a label. I'm the son of man. What's the son of man? Watch me and find out. So he could have said Messiah. He could have used the term Messiah all the time. That's who he is. But if you use that term, everybody said, so when are you going to bring your army? When are you going to bring your army? When are you going to conquer the Romans? When are you... He said, I'm not going to use that term. I'm going to use son of man. Just a little note. We're going to see that throughout the book here. But then what he does is there's an Old Testament tradition. And it's an Old Testament tradition that we still have today. Which is, if you're going to do something, and if you're going to say something as a prophet, you better be willing to back it up. And in the Old Testament, if you made a pronouncement and it was wrong, there were some rocks flying at you. That was the punishment for it. And so Jesus, they challenged Jesus, and Jesus says, fine, I'll prove it. Because if you look in Deuteronomy 18.22, it says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word of, that the, the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. 
So Jesus commands the paralytic man to rise so that they may know. Why does he heal the guy? So that they know he has the power to, to forgive sin. He says, you want proof, don't you? You know the Old Testament. I know the Old Testament. I happen to have written it. But, you know, um, I know the Old Testament. And so he says to them, you want to see proof now, don't you? Fine. Rise, rise up. Just so you know that I have the authority, I'm going to heal this guy also. And now, one thing we don't understand is one other barrier to faith rises up right here. And I'm not sure I ever thought about this until this week. What do you do if you're the paralytic man? And you're, you're sitting there. First of all, you had your friends. They've lowered you through the ceiling. Which, hey, those are great friends. Everybody needs friends like that. And there's another sermon you could preach on this on what kind of friends we need to be that, for those who are hurting. The kinds that lift them up and drop them through ceilings. Okay? There's a whole other sermon on that. But he looks at his friends and he says, you brought me here to be healed. This guy who we, we just met this Jesus guy says, your sins are forgiven. Didn't see that one coming. Now the people that we're supposed to respect are sitting there, the Jewish teachers of the law, and what are they saying? This guy's a blasphemer. A blasphemer is somebody who is arrogant, who thinks he's God. What am I supposed to do? Do I, and he says, and if this guy's wrong, and I try to get up, nothing's happening. And so, again, the faith has to happen in his heart. He's got to get up. He says get up, but he has to make the effort to get up. He has to do something. He can't just sit there. Again, faith is faith only when it's in action. And the paralytic man is at a, at a barrier here. Who do I believe? This guy who just said your sins are forgiven or the teachers of the law who have always been told to trust. I came here to get healed. I got this thing on sins forgiven. I don't know what to do. So what does he do? He rises up. He overcomes the obstacle and instantly he's healed. I love how, and then Mark just says nonchalantly, I I just can't imagine this happening if you're a paralytic. I think he's really summarizing. Because if you've been paralyzed, he immediately picked up his bed. He rose, picked up his bread, and went out before them all. I gotta think there's some jam. There's some jamming around. Woohoo! Not paralyzed anymore. Sorry for the dancing there, but you know, I, I think that that would happen. But it's kind of a little summary. He's just summarizing. He rose up um, and showed that he was dead. And what happened? They were all amazed and glorified God. We need to understand that when God takes care of our needs, the ones that we truly have whether it is forgiveness of sins, which is the most important need that everybody here has. When God changes your life, people are going to say, what happened to you? What happened to you? And they're going to glorify God with you. If you have another miracle happen in your life, whether it's a physical miracle, a financial miracle, they're going to ask, what happened in your life? And when you give glory and credit to God, they're going to glorify God. So through this whole action, the paralytic is, his sins are forgiven. If he never rose from that bed, he's in absolutely perfect shape with God. The number one thing happened. But when God proved by raising him from the dead, he's also showing, you know what? Glorify God. Notice it says, the crowd glorified God and said, we never saw anything like this. We've never seen anybody who had the nerve to say, I can forgive sins 
and then say, oh, you want proof with that too, right? Now get up and walk. So what does this tell us in our life right now? God is going to take care of the needs that need to be taken care of in our life, not the ones that we think are the needs. And the first thing he wants to take care of is the sin in your life. With this paralytic, the one thing that stands out more and more, I don't think I ever looked at it very closely, his biggest concern for that paralytic was his sin. And God's biggest concern for us today, we may look at people that are hurting, we may look at people in wheelchairs, we may look, look at people with cancer, we may look at all different things, but you know what? Sin is the biggest problem that we have. The change of our heart, the change of who we are is the biggest need that we have. And when we have this, God is glorified. And when things are happening in our life that God wants to have happen, he is glorified and we can proclaim to people that God has changed us. God has made us the people that we're supposed to be and we can glorify, you know what? I can't forgive your sins, but I know somebody who can. I can't, I can't heal you, but I know somebody who can. I can't find you the needs in your life, but I know somebody who can because he's changed my life. Stand with me right now. For our prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, you saw the biggest need of everybody's lives, forgiveness of sins. There's not one person in this building that does not have, need to have their sin forgiven. There's never been a person born. It says, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The saddest thing about the Jewish teachers right here, they had the ability to have their sins forgiven right in front of them. And what did they do? Criticized him instead. Man, Jesus is right there. Will you forgive my sins too? Will you forgive my sins too? Yes, 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 yes. That's what he was wanting to do. And so if you're here today, you can have your sins forgiven. You can be washed clean. You can, you can have restoration with God. You cannot be walking around with that guilt anymore because you've turned it over to God. But for the rest of us, I think we need to understand that God has work to do in all of our lives. It's most in, in the area of sin, in the area of changing our lives. When we're looking at what we need in this life, what our desires are, I come back to where we started. If you're looking at, you know what, I want to find a, a spouse or I want to have a better job or I want to have these things. God is saying, I can provide all of those things. I want to have healing in my life. But the number one most important thing is how is your heart with God? He wants to work in you today. He wants to work through the situations you have today. He wants to forgive you of sins. He wants to root out sins out of your life. And he wants to prepare you for what he has in the future. Wouldn't you rather have your heart and everything in, in line so you're ready for that promotion? To have your sin attitudes in your life taken care of so you're ready for the husband or wife? Or you're ready for the increase of money so you don't become greedy? See, God's got the right order for us and he knows what we need. Let's just understand that God, and praise God for that. He knows what we need. He can take care of our needs today. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, for the story that you inspired Mark to write, God. And for the actual events, Lord, and how it was laid out for us. And God, we know that this is what you want to do in our lives, God. You want to offer us forgiveness, restoration with you. But God, you also want to do things in our lives, miraculous things in our lives, God. 
And we pray right now, first of all, that today we will open up to you and say, God, if there's unforgiveness in my heart, if there are actions that I need rooted out, if there's sin in me, God, I want to confess it to you and have it forgiven. And God, I want to turn all my needs over to you. And you know the right time. You know what needs to be done in my life, God. But God, today, I pray that we have opportunities to bring this message. Lord, just like you did with this paralytic, you want to do with every single person in this area. Every single person in the Bemidji area, God, you want to offer the hope of salvation. You want to offer the hope of healing, God. Because a new era came when you came to this earth as the Son of God, the one who can forgive sins. And Lord, make us ambassadors for you right now, God. Let us bring the hope of Jesus to those who are hurting. Let us be the friends, God, who are willing to stand with our friend who's hurting, who's lost in sin, and lower them down to Jesus so that they can receive forgiveness of sins and restoration. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our prayer ministers are available. Otherwise, you are dismissed.